Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Germany is Dr. Tobias Kreuz. Uh, Tobias is Head of Corporate Compliance at Giesecke Devrien. And joining us from Austria is Clara Becerra Campos, who is Senior Compliance Analyst Europe for TD Synax. The two of them will be addressing today the topic of their session at the 2024 European Compliance and Ethics Institute, which is Foghorn or Siren Song Roadmap for Multinationals on How to Approach the New EU Whistleblowing Requirements. Uh, Clara, Tobias, thank you so much for joining us today and for speaking on this topic at the European Compliance and Ethics Institute. Clara, why don't we start with you? Can you give us an overview of the key provisions of the EU whistleblower requirements? Of course. So the whistleblower directive um, requires all public entities, with some exceptions, and those private companies with 50 or more employees to establish confidential, secure and efficient internal reporting channels, follow up procedures and deadlines for handling reports. It also requires national authorities to establish um, external reporting channels. Um, it also includes a broad definition of those individuals, both in the private and public sector, that would be covered by the protection of the directive, with the limitation of those reports that are within the scope of the European, Europe, European Union law breaches as defined in the directive. Um, something that is also important is that it sets the measures for protection for whistleblowers against all means of retaliation. And in short, we would understand retaliation as any direct or indirect behavior um, at work that could potentially harm a, a whistleblower. Something that is also important is that the directive leaves the door open for member states to consider whether or not these public um, entities and private companies um, are expected to accept um, and follow up on those reports that are received anonymously. That would be, uh, in, my, in our opinion, the four main uh, points to consider in terms of the provisions. And those are significant points. Now, Tobias, is this an evolution or a revolution in Europe? Now, that's, uh, that's a really good question. And um, also thanks for um, having me for the session, of course. Um, I mean, I would say from a regulatory perspective, it's rather a revolution in my view. Um, if you look about 10 years back, um, the regulatory landscape here in Europe um, was very fragmented. There was only very limited protection um, for whistleblowers in place. Um, and for example, if you take um, Germany, um, really in Germany, there was only very sector specific regulation in place no general legal protection of the identity of the whistleblower, also no general legal protection against um, retaliation. And um, according to the case law um, in uh, labor cases, um, employees were normally required to raise concerns internally first and labor law courts um, usually supported employers um, for example, also when they fired uh, employees um, because um, they decided to blew uh, the whistle um, publicly. And um, so I think on that side, it's really having these um, kind of harmonized 
set of rules in place here with the uh, European Whistleblower Directive, that's really um, a revolution. Um, for companies, on the other side, I think it really um, depends for small and medium-sized companies. I would say for them also, it's, it's often a revolution. A lot of these small to medium-sized companies um, likely did not have um, those systems um, in place um, before um, the, uh, the requirements under the directives um, became effective. Um, for larger companies, that's a bit different, I would say. Um, a lot of the larger multinational companies, uh, maybe also US headquarter companies that operate uh, throughout the world and in, 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 in multiple countries here in Europe, they uh, will usually already have uh, systems in place. And I think that's also where it becomes a bit difficult here. And I think that's the other point that I would like to make uh, here is that um, if you have a, a system, if, if you are working for a company that has a system, um, a whistleblowing system already in place, it can be really um, challenging um, to navigate uh, the requirements here in Europe. Um, that's also why we chose the title Foghorn or Siren Song for our session, and we'll discuss it a bit more um, during the, the conference in Amsterdam. Um, but I think here with the way th this um, directive was implemented, and Clara just summarized the main uh, requirements, I think here it's important to understand that these are only minimum uh, requirements, and um, European member states are free to deviate from those minimum standards and implement stricter rules, stricter requirements. And a lot, if not most, of the, the member states have um, made use of that option and have implemented uh, divergent uh, rules uh, and, and, and requirements, sometimes even conflicting rules and requirements. And I mean, in, in that sense, they're re really living up to the to the motto of the European Union, which is united in diversity. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, that that can be truly challenging for a multinational company if um, you want to ensure kind of a consistent, harmonized system. But you have to meet those uh, diverging uh, requirements in Europe. It sounds complex and also a good reminder always that the minimum is rarely what you want to achieve in compliance and ethics. It's better to be above that. Now, Clara, where should a company start ensuring it meets all of these requirements? Mm -hmm. That would uh, depend on the situation, whether that company or organization already has a system in place. For those that, that they don't, um, we'd recommend that they implement already those internal reporting channels. Um, bear in mind that it's always important to have the buy-in from the relevant stakeholders and in our experience also to align with legal and data privacy. But it's important that those reporting channels are in place as soon as possible to meet with the legal requirements. And it's also important to determine the responsibilities in terms of who's gonna be managing this reporting system internally, externally, um, who are going to be the investigators team? Is this something that is going to handle by one team, by different teams, depending on the area of the breach or misconduct that is being reported? Uh, ensure confidentiality, as I mentioned, is something very important and emphasized throughout the directive. And also making sure that it's properly communicated uh, within the organization, as it's something that is new to coworkers. They need to be aware 
of the reporting um, channels available, how the process works, and also ensure that if it's needed, they are aware that they have these resources. For those uh, companies and organizations that already have a system in place, and we'll talk more about this in our session, um, the starting point, in our opinion, would be to do a gap analysis, sort of an inventory to understand what does the company or the organization have, um, which are the requirements of the directive and those national implementations that might impact uh, the company or the organization, and then align with legal and the privacy and amended system, make any improvements or add, make any additions that are necessary. And once again, communicate it to the coworkers if there's relevant changes that affect them and more rights, for example, that are included because of the directive that they might not be aware about. And also ensure that it's appropriate training uh, for those um, coworkers that are part of the recording channel and the investigators team to make sure that they're aware if there's new tools new expectations on their end and also new requirements that apply to them directly um, because of these uh, national implementations. So that would be a short uh, starting point, so to speak. Short, but, but a very substantial starting point. <laughs> a lot of work yes. to be done there, clearly. Now, Tobias, I want to go back to something you mentioned, which is a, a lot of uh, national laws are already going beyond the baseline requirements. Where should organizations be focusing in terms of sort of, well, to put another in one way, exceeding expectations uh, in this regard? Yeah, from my perspective, the main point here would really be allow anonymous reporting. Um, this is optional under the European directive. So the directive basically says that uh, each member state is free to decide whether they want to oblige companies that, that meet the, the employee threshold um, to accept anonymous reports or not. Um, from my perspective, really, I think as an ethical company, you want to ensure first and foremost that your employees trust your internal reporting system and also that they feel comfortable uh, raising concerns um, to you, to the um, ethics and compliance department in your company. But uh, as we all know, many, many employees will only or, or may only feel comfortable if they can raise those concerns anonymously. Um, and there is also a report that was published by Navex last year, uh, which also shows uh, quite impressively, I would say, that um, anonymous reports have a relatively high substantiation rate, especially um, for, for web-based reports. And uh, in addition to that, um, the report also shows that anonymous reporting can be particularly valuable for smaller companies where apparently um, uh, a relatively high rate um, of uh, concerns are raised in an anonymous manner and, and also turn out to be substantiated afterwards according to that report. So again, that, that would be really my point um, uh, that um, you should go beyond those requirements. You should allow um, anonymous reporting. So we've talked a lot about what the law requires and the need to sort of reflect all, not just the baseline of the EU law, but also the individual national requirements. Um, 
there is still though flexibility in terms of how an organization can implement the program um, and the helpline. What kinds of customizations should companies be considering in your opinion? Uh, Clara, why don't we start with you? I think uh, something important is, especially for those companies that already have a system and maybe they have, for example, central a central approach, they need to make sure that they have um, also local reporting channels and resources. Something to consider is if they're companies that are between 50 and 249 workers, they have the option of sharing resources for the receipt of these uh, reports and to facilitate investigations. Uh, without jeopardizing confidentiality, but pulling or helping each other out. And that's something that would definitely recommend for them to consider in terms of reviewing this local versus central or hybrid approach. Tobias, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, maybe just very quickly, another point to consider in my view is um, whether you want to adopt or maintain a a one-size-fits-all system versus maybe a more tailored approach um, where, for example, you um, implement uh, um, a reporting system, particularly for those concerns that fall within the scope of um, the European Directive. Um, you, you may then also want to consider, um, for example, um, to have different system also depending on different requirements here in Germany there's a very specific requirement under the um, supply chain due diligence act which also requires you to to have a um, reporting system uh, in place for concerns uh, within the scope of uh, this legal act um, so I think that that's kind of the the decision that you need to make do you want to have tailored system systems depending on the requirements or do you want to go for one size fits all um, approach where then you might have to uh, um, uh, solve the, the challenge um, to meet all of those uh, requirements uh, with that single system. And that's a good reminder that it's best to think of this in any law affecting compliance as not a standalone thing, but a piece of the broader puzzle. And it's important to consider how all of them interact. Well, Tobias, Clara, thank you both for taking the time to talk to us today. I look forward to your session at the 2024 European Compliance and Ethics Institute. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>